0: to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for June 8th, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you in a steamy Austin, Texas. Oh, my good Lord. Getting up into the triple digits till the end of the week through the weekend. I just bought a stand up paddle board. Summer is here. (laughs) I don't care what it says. I don't care what you're. But forget your equinoxes. I'm telling you, summer summer has arrived, at least here in central Texas. And we do have a few things that are heating up in the political world as well. There is quite possibly one of the most rare events that we can imagine in our modern political world. Not only a bipartisan deal being struck, but a bipartisan deal On an issue that often many fear to tread. Guns. Is there, in a possible red wave election, going to be a bipartisan gun deal? As I am producing this podcast here for you guys, I would say that based on all the tea leaf reading, the answer is likely. We'll go through exactly what's in it, how it's unfolding, and the players that are making it happen. We also have a little news about John Fetterman. John Fetterman is now the official nominee on the Democratic side for Senate in Pennsylvania. He's also somebody that very recently had a stroke caused by an underlying heart condition. He has yet to return to the campaign trail. There have been news reports that he is unable to string more than a few sentences together before becoming noticeably fatigued. And he is now officially facing Dr. Mehmet Oz in that general election. So with all that swirling in the air, I've got an idea for the Fetterman campaign. Now I'm telling you, this is a 24-karat gold, brilliant, diamond-encrusted idea. Who and how should John Fetterman give his first tell-all interview to about his health and everything else? The answer is Joe Rogan. I will explain my reasoning. Also, we're going to go full indulgent journalists. Every once in a while, I like to test you guys because whenever I give you guys some inside journalism stuff, I I say, look, I'm warning you. I'm going to put some some caution tape out. It says indulgent journalist conversation incoming. And every single time, you guys love it. You guys seem to very much enjoy it, but I'm self-conscious. So I will label this one yet again. Because, quite frankly, friends, this might be the most inside journalist, inside journalism conversation that you will ever hear on this program. The Washington Post is imploding from the inside. Mixing around this cauldron of chaos is one of the top political reporters. Twitter, of course, it's a journalist conversation. And the ethics of what is and is not a suspendable offense. And more to the point, if a retrograde joke fits that definition. Sarah Rumpf from Mediaite joins us to talk about that. But first. So, I've never been part
1: of negotiations as serious as these. There are more Republicans at the table talking about changing our gun laws and investing in mental health than at any time since Sandy Hook. Now, I've also been part of many failed negotiations in the past, so I'm sober minded about our chances. Um, We are talking. That
0: is Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut on the Sunday shows this weekend saying what happens to be a very remarkable achievement that there is a bipartisan negotiation on gun rights at all, right? So so number one, let's lay that out. Let's also lay out that this is not exactly the most hospitable time frame for it. Republicans are are going to have to understand that doing nothing for them is beneficial because right now the ground underneath their feet is tilting their way. Democrats obviously would love to do this. This is a pet project for them. But now they also will face voices from within their own party that anything that would be done in a bipartisan basis will not go far enough. We will get to all that, including the Biden of it all, in a second. But first, Let's understand the players here. Chris Murphy is the chief instigator here on the Democratic side. He was extraordinarily animated after the shooting in Uvalde. He has been a voice on gun control since the Sandy Hook shooting and probably even before, but most prominently in the national mind. That is where he became a very, very loud voice. On the Republican side, it is John Cornyn, the senator from Texas. Obviously, there is some symbolism here between the shooting happening in Texas and Cornyn leading it. But let's also understand this. John Cornyn does not go and do this if Mitch McConnell doesn't say go do this. And indeed... That is the voice that I have been paying the most attention to through all of this. Because Cocaine Mitch, when he doesn't say anything, he is allowing things to move forward. If it stops, it probably means behind closed doors, Mitch McConnell has pulled back on it. Very rarely is he loudly wishing that something is going to happen if he has any control over it. So, here's his quote. We're trying to get a bipartisan outcome here that makes a difference, and hopefully sometime this week, we'll come together. This according to Punchbowl. Cornyn said Murphy has been very pragmatic and only focusing on items that Republicans can support. Red flag laws. Modest changes to the nation's background check system. Quote, he's going where he needs to to get a deal, Cornyn said. For example, Cornyn said that he believes raising the age to buy certain semiotic weapons is not being considered by the group, despite the fact that Joe Biden has urged the Senate to take it up and made that part of his speech to the nation. Meanwhile, the House is voting on a gigantic omnibus of Democrat wish list gun control legislation that they'll push off a cliff and will fall into the abyss of Senate inaction. That is not to say, though, that there has been no movement by Republicans. Indeed, John Cornyn has said himself that he is willing to support an expansion of background checks, specifically to have background checks now also involve the juvenile records of somebody looking to buy a gun, addressing head on the fact that some of the ugliest school shootings have been done by people that are of the younger age, and many of them have had troubling run-ins with the law as juveniles. Cornyn goes on to say here, what happened in the case of Salvador Ramos was a ticking time bomb. He was the Uvalde shooter. Everybody knew it. He shot his own grandmother. He self-mutilated, killed and tortured animals, threatened people online with sexual assaults and other crimes. Everyone knew this kid was trouble. For two years, he was out of school, sitting in who knows where, kind of like Adam Lanza up in Connecticut. That was the Sandy Hook shooter, I add editorially. Familiar profile, and he committed multiple homicides, and he also committed suicide. So, I mean, that's a terrible indictment of our mental health system, but also his ability to access firearms or pass a clean background test, even with this kind of record. The reason it wasn't considered is because it was part of his juvenile record, and so we're looking at ways to access that information because it's relevant. The other big piece here are red flag laws. Red flag laws are, as I understand them, akin to what I called in Florida being Baker Acted and what people in California call being 5150'd. I, I don't know if there is you know, 50 different terms for this, but those are the ones that I know the best. Effectively, it means that you are against your own will institutionalize temporarily. Now, it may or may not surprise you that I have seen with my own eyes people being Baker Acted in my life. Uh, it is not something that happens easily. It usually happens because somebody is out of control. The cops are called and the presence of law enforcement does not calm this person down it oftentimes riles them up more. And if you are unable to control yourself when the threat of being jailed is there, then you get pulled in. Anecdotally, I have not known either the Baker Act or 5150s to be particularly abused. I'm not saying that there's never a case in which it happens, but I at least have not anecdotally been around people who have explained that this is a total overreach. Red flag laws would operate under a similar premise. Should you be proven to be out of control so much so that you would probably be in the realm of being Baker acted, then you might also lose access to your guns. I think it was on a we're not wrong episode that or maybe I was just talking to Heaton that I would even go further with this, and I would I would make gun confiscation a private business that would have their own lobbyers. Make them like uh, car impound lots. You know, you ever had to, you know, you wake up, normally it's hungover after your car got towed because you were out late. Next thing you know, you got to go down to a lot pay some random dude $400, and it's all got to be cash, so you have to go to two ATMs. They make it really, really, really annoying. And that is a public-private partnership where they are directed by the state or city to grab your car and put it in their lot. So do that with guns. (laughs) Have it be a private thing for which now will never go away because the lobbyists of gun impound lots would never let it. Anyway, that's a little policy prescription that people can take for free. I guess I'm in an advice giving mood since I'm going to give advice to the Fetterman campaign a little bit later. I will also add that as I record this segment, news is leaking out on Twitter that the mental health portion of this, so there's going to be money that will go to mental health, is all but done. Oh, one more thing on the red flag laws like the mental health money. The red flag laws will not be done federally, according to reporting. Instead, and this probably makes more sense in terms of organization, the red flag laws will be incentivized by money that would come into the states. So the federal government would give money to the states saying, here, this is money to set up your registry and run this program. So let's get into some of the human dynamics here, because this is something rare. First, why is this happening in the Senate? Why is Mitch McConnell allowing this to happen? Why is John Cornyn allowing this to happen? Both of those men, by the way, have A-plus grades from the NRA. Any sniffing around, any kind of gun rights, or, or gun control legislation is something that is usually of the highest level of never going to happen. Chris Murphy has a thought. He said this to Punchbowl. I was back in Connecticut this week and I've never seen people react the way they did until last week. In my conversation with colleagues, even from redder states than Connecticut, I got the sense that they feel it too. Parents are super scared right now and they can't contemplate Congress doing nothing in the wake of what happened in the last week. I think everyone's feeling that. So sometimes we come back from a break week, you lose that sense of urgency. My sense is that the opposite is happening. Today, as people return, I've talked to a half dozen or a dozen of my colleagues on the phone today. My sense is that the urgency level has increased after folks went home. So let's assume that the Senate is actually, for once, doing their job, question mark? Let's look at the world around it. Obviously, you have a lot of Republicans that are never going to vote on anything remotely involved with gun control. Included in that group is Cornyn's other senator from the state of Texas, Ted Cruz. But they don't really need them if they've got enough Republicans on board. And it looks like that vote count is high enough. So, what about the Democratic side? Like I mentioned before, the House is going to pass a useless omnibus. Good for them. The man for whom befuddles the gerbs is again Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., the 46th president of the United States. Because bipartisan Biden seems like a slam dunk. And I would have to this point, have assumed that he might have inserted himself in some background capacity, even if it's just whispers of Biden is very quietly cheering on Chris Murphy to get some kind of action or traction or win, possibly, on the issue of gun control. He didn't do that. Instead, he went in front of the nation and proposed a bunch of things that were definitely not going to happen. Now, in general, that's probably harmless, but it does move the Overton window a little bit in terms of acceptability and popularity of a solution like this from the Democratic Party. Because if this happens, friends, considering who's involved and when it's happening, it seems like a miracle to me. For Joe Biden, who I very greatly believed was voted into office because he was a guy that could solve problems and he could solve problems on a bipartisan level to not take part of that pizza party. Oh, I don't know why I I am. I am totally, totally, totally gobsmacked that he has not played this better. Although how many times have I said that? The definition of insanity is expecting Joe Biden to be smart and then watching the actual news and being surprised. Politics, politics. So John Fetterman, let's uh, catch you up there. John Fetterman was the prohibited favorite over Conor Lamb for the Democratic nomination to run for Senate in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He did win, but in dramatic fashion because... He was at the time that he won in the hospital. He was in the hospital because he had a stroke. He had a stroke because he had an underlying heart condition, one in which he had been diagnosed many, many years ago, but never returned to the doctor that sought to have him as a regular patient that had given him the first diagnosis. As of right now, John Fetterman has yet to return to the campaign trail. And look, I have been on this show and, and others and said that I think that that is a problem. And I think a lot of people are kind of whitewashing the fact that like, oh, he'll be back. He'll be fine. Strokes are weird. Heart attacks are are probably more common. A stroke brought on by an underlying heart condition that happened as the beginning of a campaign. Was set to kick off. That rings alarm bells for me. But we don't need to talk about that right now. In fact, the Fetterman campaign does seem to be kicking into gear. This is his first national ad that was run on Fox News, of all places. Washington, D.C., attacked towns like this for years. They wrote bad deals that sent away our jobs. Prove the drugs that kill our kids. We need help. They just talk. Not John Fetterman. For 20 years, he's lived in a place like this. Building, pushing, fighting. He's running for Senate to do the same thing there. Good American jobs. Higher wages for us. That's John.
1: This is John Fetterman, and I approve this message.
0: Working class guy. Union strong, fair wages, And unlike, let's say, Tim Ryan from Ohio, he actually looks like the kind of guy that would be for the things that were mentioned in that ad. But here's Fetterman's current problem. His brand is honesty, and during this health situation, there was not exactly total transparency. Now, when he did talk, I did like what he had to say. The statement that he released boiled down to, boy, do us men not like going to the doctor, huh? I went to the doctor once and they told me I had a heart condition and to come back. Instead, I dieted and exercised and never came back. Then I had a stroke because of my heart condition. End quote, for my paraphrasing of it. But it wasn't far from that. Look, it was relatable. It's on brand. It's why Fetterman is a compelling politician. But there's one way that I believe that John Fetterman could totally, totally put this behind him. And I mean everything. I mean the honesty. I mean the health stuff. I even mean what has been reported out over the last few days as Fetterman's inability to put sentences together. If indeed, John Fetterman is fully recovered, then my advice to him is that he become a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast, giving his full side of the story and introducing him to the Rogan audience. Now, here's why. Of all the places that he could do it. He's not going to do it on MSNBC. He's not going to do it for a local, uh, you know, Pittsburgh or Philadelphia television station. No, 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 no. Come on down to Austin, John, and you do Rogan's podcast. And here's why. Joe Rogan is a bro's bro. He is no doubt acutely familiar with the male urge to project invincibility internally. And externally, Fetterman can tell him the story of his situation, and I will almost guarantee you, instead of giving a bunch of follow-up questions about exactly when certain press releases went out and exactly why his wife said this and his PR people said the other thing, none of that. Joe Rogan would come back and probably tell him the story about how some cage-fighting friend of his did the exact same thing and then won a championship belt. By the way, Rogan's subreddit already recommended this back in March. The top comment on that is, yeah, this guy is awesome. But here's the real reason why this is a 24-karat gold idea that both Joe Rogan and the Fetterman campaign need to steal from me. It's gonna be a softball interview that will be treated like an inquisition by the mainstream media that has painted Rogan to be someone that he is not. For folks who have not listened to the man himself, Rogan is effectively a Bernie socialist. Culturally, he's right word of progressivism, but that's his brand. That's the bros, bros brand. In reality, those two would probably spend most of their time talking about Fetterman's push for weed legalization, something that both men could, I'm sure, opine on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so while this conversation happened and unfolds in the languid two and a half hour long portion that Rogan usually likes to have his interview be. Number one, implicitly you are showing that Fetterman is of sound mind and body because he is able to keep this conversation up. And let's be clear, we're talking about Rogan where drug addled is kind of the average there, so he doesn't exactly have to be reciting poetry the entire time. Meanwhile, the main mainstream media will act like he just did three hours with the ghost of Rush Limbaugh because they have made Rogan into being a right-wing crusader in the mold of Stephen Crowder. Fetterman, for them, would be a brave man walking into the wilderness, the same way that Bernie Sanders was when he did a Fox News Town Hall. I don't need any credit for this, by the way, guys. Either for Rogan or for, or for Fetterman. I don't need any credit. In fact, have this be our secret code. When it happens, say, this has been a plan long in the making. That's how I'll, I'll know that you guys got it from me. Oh! Me, 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 me. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to support this program, one place to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Oh, yeah. Get that bonus content. I really think that, you know, the, the, the bonus stuff that we do is just, it's some of my favorite stuff to do. I love doing the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show, where we gather up all the quotes from the Sunday shows, and we try to decipher what all the politicians' goals are. You know, if you like any of, of when I try to, like, pick apart the hidden meaning of stuff. That's that that Sunday show is all that. That's me that's me trying to do some grand dissection of of big media messages and finding out exactly what they are trying to do. Then of course the Thursday show is the late edition. That's where we get all of our information. uh, uh that that happens late. Uh, you know, I'm going to put this in in with the ad I don't know what to do about this January 6th stuff on Thursday night because normally I'm posting the episode for Friday on Thursday night. For me to hold it on Thursday would be a real pain in the ass. And it'd be totally... You want to know what? I'm not going to... Look, I'll put it this way. If something massive happens during that primetime January 6th hearing on Thursday night, then... I will do a bonus free episode on Friday morning. I'll go out of my way and do that. But for now, guys, I'm 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 just on a prove it. Prove that you have something that I haven't seen before. Anyway, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I don't know why I did programming notes in the middle of that. Uh, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Support us. Uh, It's the only reason why this thing continues to roll on. Because of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Two bonus episodes each and every week. If you're at the $3 level, see you there. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I tried to warn you guys. I tried. I said, journalists, every moment of every day, and I know it because I am one, am waiting, hoping, wishing that the public would stop fixating on the dumb news and really, really feast their eyes on the true story. Journalists. In all seriousness, whenever I get super inside journalism, I warn you guys because I know it isn't strictly speaking about politics, but the following story we are about to uh, talk about does. In fact, it involves one of the most well-renowned political reporters in the nation at one of the most politically savvy newspapers in the world, The Washington Post. Dave Weigel who is now suspended but for what we discussed that and so much more with Sarah Rumpf she is of Mediaite welcome back to the show sarah thanks for having me uh, uh all right so so let's 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 take this from the top there is a uh uh Washington Post. The democracy dies in darkness, and and apparently so does their team morale, although it happens not in darkness, but on Twitter. Uh, 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 What what the hell is happening?
1: Okay, so we have a situation where there was what should have been an internal minor kerfuffle has become a national media story. (laughs) There's a reporter named Dave Weigel (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who has been a longtime political reporter um, in the decade that I've been involved in this business. Um, he's been one of the guys who's on the ground at the events. If you go cover a presidential debate, if you're on the ground for one of the you know first in the nation primaries in Iowa or New Hampshire, he's the one there. He's he's checking out the presidential campaigns. He's following the key you know, gubernatorial and Senate races. He's following the Tea Party movement, the rise of Trump, the progressive, you know, forces that have shaped the Democrats over the recent years. Like he's the one who's been following all that, deciphering all these different things in the American political scene and um, has just been like a staple of American political reporting. And now this is not to give anybody a free pass, like, oh, you're no. a great reporter and you're experienced, so you get to be a jerk. But like what he did... Was so minor, and what it's blown up to is so insane that I'm (laughs) still like, it sounds like a really weird plot for like veep or the office or something. So, so
0: wait here, There was before, a dumb before, before, joke yeah, before before we oh, yeah. go any further. Let me just let me just say just to back your play here. I have met Dave Weigel twice, once at a Biden rally in South Carolina in 2020 where I mentioned and this is where many people who do not know the name Dave Weigel will probably know him is his Twitter avatar which is either a picture or a illustration of his iconic pointed mustache. And I said, oh, I recognize you because of your mustache. He told me, cool. And then we sat next to each yeah. other while we talked to other people <laughs> at like a gathering of reporters later that night. But but he is known for being the guy who's there. He is not a pundit. He is not an op ed writer. He is a a reporter. And, and I would say personally, a, a very good one at that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's, I enjoy writing. I enjoy reading his writing. Um, and he's, he's somebody that has a deep level of expertise. He's not one known for being a bomb thrower, um, on either partisan side. And so the, the tweet that he retweeted again, he didn't write it himself. He just clicked the retweet button without adding any extra comment was a dumb joke by a dumb YouTube troll. And it said something along the lines of every girl is bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. So, Oh, it's not, it's not something you're going to applaud, but like, it's not the end of the world. I, I did not feel personally attacked as a woman on the internet. I didn't need to call for my fainting couch. I don't feel personally victimized. I shed no tear. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you, you roll your eyes at. Like if one of your friends said it out loud, you'd be like, shut up, moron. When was the last time you had a date? And then you'd move on. Like it wouldn't be the end of the world, but that's what it's blown up to because there are some like Panic monsters at the Washington Post. Yeah. So he let's, tweets. Let's, he retweets let's, let's, this tweet. Let's, 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 let's hold on. Yeah.
0: I do. Before we move on from the joke, I, I do just want to say that while everybody's mileage may vary, comedy is 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 subjective. Number one. Yeah. Twitter is not immune from jokes. Right. Like it is not known as a staid intellectual listserv. (laughs) Like it is. It is a place for memes. It is a place for jokes. And whether or not you find this one to be particularly hilarious, I do think if we are slicing it up on the gender lines, it lands for me at least in the bucket of like men only want one thing and it's effing disgusting or men will literally do x instead of going to therapy it is reinforcing gender stereotypes uh in 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 a in a a, a short way that you may chuckle at or or not at least for me
1: yeah yeah some people chuckled at it some people thought it was dumb but like normal, rational people did not fling themselves on the floor to pound their fists upon the carpet and rip their hair out. Normal people.
0: Yeah. But that was not the case either publicly on Twitter or apparently within the Washington Post Slack. Correct.
1: Yeah. So what we know from um, Oliver Darcy at CNN got a hold of some of the Slack chats. Now I have not seen these, but like, Darcy is a pretty reliable reporter, and nobody's come forward to say he's lying. The Slack chats show a reporter by the name of Felicia Sanmez complaining about Weigel's retweet of this joke. An ongoing discussion, and Weigel being scolded and reprimanded that that's not cool. We're inclusive. This is bad sort of language. Shame on you. Don't do it. Uh, we don't like this. Okay. So. There was, you know, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle on Twitter um, because Sanmez was apparently not happy with how this had been resolved internally. So she screenshot the tweet showing Weigel's retweet and posted something along the lines of how it's great to work in a place where retweets like this are allowed.
0: Yeah. Allowed. And allowed. Being allowed. The operative word. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she's, you know, I guess she's, she's wanting the Washington Post to start censoring tweets. Um, Weigel had originally replied, I think, to of O'Brien, that he chuckled at it originally and then thought about it and then decided it wasn't very funny and unretweeted it. Um, right. Later he posted a just independent tweet that said, I took down a tweet that was in bad taste. I apologize. I meant no harm. Um, Again, that was on Friday.
0: And, Felicia and saw this, this was up. Yeah, for for, I mean, what less than two days, right? Like, if not, if not less than. That. I
1: don't even know. I don't know how long the original retweet was up. Um yeah. I don't know the exact moment he unretweeted it, but regardless, on Friday he had apologized and taken yeah. down the bad retweet. So, like. Again, and this is what I'd asked in my article I wrote about this. What do we want the penalty to be for bad tweets? Yes. Do we want to like metaphorically murder people? Are we like, do we want to throw rotten vegetables at them? Like he, he retweeted something that the Washington Post collective brain thought was bad, that his editors thought was, was bad and scolded him for it. So he took it down and said he was sorry. Felicia Sonmez was not happy with that. I have not counted how many times she's tweeted, but it's got to be in the hundreds. Since Friday, she has tweeted all day long the rest of Friday into the evening, all day long Saturday, all day long Sunday, all day long Monday, and it's now Tuesday, and she's still complaining. Yeah. And. She went on and on and on about how that women are attacked when they oppose sexism and misogyny and, oh, I'm the victim, woe is me. And the fact that she kept hammering on this and the fact that she was disclosing internal communications, people were like, this is tacky. And then she kept going and people were like, this is nutty. So then she starts screen capping all the people that are criticizing her and You can see that the conversation is not mad at her for criticizing Weigel's retweet. If they're mad at her for taking stuff in the family and putting it out in public and for going on like this, like the criticism, both the valid critiques and the jerky trolls are all focusing on the fact that she's being a nut about this and won't drop it. So she goes on and how she's a victim and on and on and on and on. And she just keeps hammering. And at one point, another Washington Post reporter by the name of Jose De Real, Del Real, um, jumps in and agrees with her that the tweet was offensive and terrible and agrees that Dave needed to apologize and he shouldn't have tweeted it and agreed with her that women get treated like crap on the internet and voice support for her struggles, but then asked her to stop being so unrelenting and cruel to her own co-workers to stop publicly bullying her own co-workers. So then that launched a whole new tirade where she screenshot all of his stuff, complained about him. She has tagged several of the Washington Post senior editors in tweets like, how is this allowed that I can be attacked? And it's like every time she attacks anybody, it's a valid defense of women's rights on the internet and every time someone criticizes her it's a mean attack and they're picking on her and it's not fair and like this is not helping women like you're 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 portraying us as frail lunatics honey like i i don't like i don't need like somebody's career to be destroyed if they trolled me on the internet like and again weigel's tweet wasn't about her he didn't owe her anything Like, it had nothing to do with
0: her. Let's also roll the clock back a little bit on Sanmez. Many might remember (laughs) that in the aftermath, and we're talking hours as news was rolling out that Kobe Bryant had died, Sanmez tweeted a Daily Beast article recounting Kobe Bryant's rape uh, trial, allegation, and trial, everything that happened uh, in, in Colorado while he was still alive. She got criticized for that. There was an uprising within the Washington Post to defend her amongst the ranks. And
1: Weigel participated, right? (laughs) Weigel supported her. Yeah, he co-signed that Washington Post guild letter that was supporting her. And like, again, she was briefly suspended with pay. And then it was on the suspension was revoked after everybody came out to support her. What's happened now is yesterday, the Washington Post suspended Weigel for a month without pay. Like in the middle of this primary season, which should be like his busiest season. And like, again, like you don't give somebody a pass because they're useful. But like. This is an insane penalty. They, they've suspended him for a month without pay. And like, again, I'm going, I don't know anything about the Washington Post salary details, but I assume they make more money than I do. But still living in D.C. is expensive. Like, I don't know his financial situation. Like you, you go without him for a month without a paycheck and you have a mortgage and a car payment like that could be really stressful for somebody. And this is not the kind of thing that you expect to lose your job over. And it's not the kind of thing you should, you lose your job over. And like Miz isn't done. She is still complaining about Weigel on Twitter today. She's still complaining about Del Real. And it's like, do you want all these guys fired because they think it's weird and not cool for you to attack your coworkers on Twitter like you that's what they're saying and like but not Weigel like Weigel has not said anything publicly about this like he posted his apology and he had like tweeted a couple like unrelated, like news items. Yeah. Like since then, but like he's been completely silent.
0: The, the, the like, most that he's I've not adding as, to this. Yeah. The most that I've seen as uh, anything that would qualify as comment from him was that some reporters are running his away message that comes back when you email him, that basically says he'll be back on July 5th, which would yeah. indicate that'd be consistent with the month A uh, suspension. Uh, suspension. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 take a pause right here in this specific story, (laughs) because I want to ask you a broader question. Why. Is Twitter a place that makes journalists crazy? Like why? Because because you mentioned before, like like that, oh, you don't want to give people a pass based on their utility. Sure. And the job you have when you are at a place like the washington post and it used to just be a newspaper now it's 24/7 is that everybody is on the same team to produce yeah. content That's the gig. That's why you get paid. That's why you have health insurance. That's why you have everything that comes along with with a prestigious job at one of the top newspapers in the country is because you are all on the same team to get a product out the door. But it doesn't seem like that is even registering in in an exchange like this where there are no teams. There is only Twitter accounts, which to my knowledge – Sanmez profits, nothing from does not provide her health insurance, does not provide her any <laughs> kind of, 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 of title beyond her, 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 her uh, 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 you know username. So like I, I what, what drives me uh, uh, crazy, just trying to think of it is like, where how online do you need to be to believe that this is a more real life situation, what's happening on Twitter than what your actual job is?
1: I mean, so part of the problem, again, is that we do have to recognize that the media industry has totally changed because for hundreds of years, the newspaper's profit model was subscriptions plus advertisement. Yes. And that was fairly stable. If they did something horrifically controversial, they might lose some subscribers. They might have some advertisers drop their ads for a couple months, but like you didn't have this kind of swing where a couple articles get like no traffic. And then one of them goes viral and gets like 3.2 million hits in a couple hours. Like you didn't have that kind of fluctuation. People were either buying the morning edition of your local paper or not. So, Now, what we have is because it is so online and so driven by clicks and traffic and eyeballs and engagement rate and average time and all of these kind of things and click throughs and all of that, you get where somebody like Taylor Lorenz, another problem child at the
0: Washington Post.
1: Um, I was
0: going to do my best. I was going to do my best. We are at 15 minutes and 33 seconds for me to, to try to get as far into this before we mentioned Taylor you know, Lorenz. But let's, I, let, let's Go, okay. go, go. Ah, go, go, Taylor, go, Taylor Freaking
1: go. Lawrence. Okay. No, look, I I will acknowledge that she is a good writer. I will acknowledge that she is a dogged investigator. I and and but she's committed some serious journalistic ethical things that are actually a problem and, for
0: the product. Things that are actually a problem yes, yes, for the yes. reputation of your newspaper. Which if you go to journalism <laughs> school, these are one oh one things that you are drilled into your head on offering comment, on Look, listing it correctly, on 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 not over uh, explaining oh, what, what yeah your, yeah what like, your evidence don't
1: is. don't don't lie, don't falsify sources, don't target children. I mean like the stocking that she did of George and Kellyanne Conway's daughter, Claudia, when she was 15, like that was freaking gross. She was sending her private direct messages, trying to develop a relationship with her to use her for a story. And she was 15. I don't care who her mom is. Like, I don't care if if Claudia Conway is literally the child of Adolf Hitler and like somebody else terrible and is like, overhearing them plotting a new world war. Like you don't go after kids anyway. Okay. So, but like the thing with Taylor Lawrence is that she has maintained that she has a right to develop her own brand and to have her own social media personality separate and apart from the New York times where she was before and separate and apart from the Washington post and over and over again, she becomes the story that overshadows the story she actually wrote. And then she, oh, oh, and everybody's attacking me and she melts down over it. And and you see these very perverse incentives where you get the little dopamine hit of the social media viral moment and you get the clicks and the retweets. And you can see Felicia Sonmez has been spending, again, we're on day five now, day <laughs> five, where she has been like manically retweeting Anybody who's like, oh, you're so brave. You know, yeah. so she has these people that are applauding her and it makes her feel good. And like, you know, I and and, and let me be very clear here. I I'm 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 being very vicious and criticizing these people. And I will admit that I am not perfect at it. I mean, I posted a photo of my cat earlier because I know that gets clicks and he's cute. Like, <laughs> but again, like, I've never been one to really care about follower accounts. Like I aggressively block anyone who annoys me for even half of a second because I don't ever want to hear from them again. Like if I cared, I would want to keep a follower. Um, and I've really tried to practice what I preach like a couple months ago um there i wrote an article that included some originally sourced little scoop information about what was going on with cnn with the discovery time warner takeover and it was an originally reported story i worked hard on it i put a lot of work into it i was very proud of it the new york post linked to it but then also plagiarized chunks of it
0: yeah
1: i was furious. (laughs) It wasn't just an article. It was one that I had, I mean, to get original sources on what's going on in a major media company from my couch in Orlando is not easy. Like this is years of relationship building that went into me being able to source that story. So th- this for is, that, this is,
0: oh man, we're really we're really getting under the fingernails here. So th- that that yeah. is a situation where there is, especially in our modern media ecosystem, there is a threshold where you understand that the virality of a story means that elements of what you have discussed will be kind of repeated. Uh, uh, either with
1: I expect it to be attribution- repeated. She yes. copied and pasted my, paragraphs of my that's, writing. That's where I, I, so, I just want
0: to draw that. I want to draw that. Right. That, that line for for the listeners who don't understand that there is that there that there she is a threshold for yeah. which yes, and and if it's if it's you know control C control V in, into the in, in, into your, yeah, your yeah. content management system and so, you hit send, then that's that's a problem.
1: I, I was furious. I contacted my editor in chief. I emailed her on her publicly listed email that was in her Twitter bio and waited a few hours and I heard nothing. And so I checked in again with my editor in chief and I'm like, she's not responding. I'm like, I I have all the screenshots. I kind of just want to put this on Twitter and wait for them to respond. And he's like, well, you tried. Okay, go ahead. So I, I posted the screenshots and I was like, thanks for linking to me, but it's not cool that you stole my writing. And I had all the paragraphs and I had all the screenshots and it was there. Um, this, from what I understand, caused an immediate, like, you know, scurrying around at the New York post and to their credit, they reached out. Yep. They fixed the article the writer in question asked to talk to me Mm -hmm. and I agreed and I stopped tweeting to wait for her to call me. She -hmm. called a few minutes later. She was very gracious, very apologetic, did not blame anyone else. And it was a good conversation. Yeah. She screwed up. She admitted it. She said she was sorry. The article was fixed. And so that's what I wanted. I was mad. I wanted someone to acknowledge that they'd done me wrong and say, sorry. And I wanted the article fixed because those are words I wrote. And the New York post doesn't have a right to them unless they're going to put little quotation marks around them. So in my, my mind, I had what I wanted. I, with her permission, I wrapped up the thread by publicly announcing and adding onto the tweet thread that I had talked to her. That she had apologized, that it had been a good conversation, that the article had been fixed, and I considered the matter satisfactorily resolved. And then that was it.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, so what happened on days uh, two through seven?
1: <laughs> that it was all resolved within several hours. That was done. And this wow. was a...
0: Fascinating. Yeah,
1: and again, and and look, I'm, I... I I hesitate even, like, bringing up that story because, like, I don't want people to go after her because she screwed up but said she was sorry and fixed it.
0: And that's what she... Yeah, yeah so, especially because I mean, because what what you're discussing right there isn't even really like newspaper ethics. That's blog ethics. Right. Like like that's that's yeah, well, you, know, like, you you put in a block, uh, you know, you at least designate that this isn't my writing. So people don't assume that you are just scraping yeah. things in the way that, that bots do.
1: No, She so, like, she had it just in the text. Yeah. And, and yeah, again, like and so in this that, situation.
0: That's, that's, you, but you fixed it. I mean, and that's that's the thing. Yeah. In this world. Things need to go so fast. You need to get your headlines up so fast. Your social media needs to be right. so in front of the story that there are lapses. There are problems. There are greedy elements where people lose their own uh, way and sometimes bad things happen. But it doesn't seem like the, the majority maybe maybe the majority of things are handled like yours is where it's like either reached out privately if there's no satisfaction there if there is a public thing at the very least you can say hey look we discussed this and we wrapped it up what you have pointed out though is if you are in the world of developing your own brand and the there is an incentive
1: to to make make a fuss and to continue the fight and to continue the ongoing turmoil and like again the,
0: the, the drama is the product
1: yeah. And you get, you get, you get celebrity of a sort for it. And like, yes. again, like I got a lot of interactions with my initial, Hey, the wash, the, the, New York post plagiarized from me. I got a lot of traffic on that and especially, a lot of traffic especially, to especially my
0: article. Media versus the New York post also touches on right. other lay lines in terms of culture and politics.
1: Right, right. There's a lot of comments on it. And like, as soon as I said it was resolved, it was like, like, I mean, I don't have, I don't remember the exact numbers on it, but like if I got a hundred interactions for the complaint, once I said it resolved, it was like maybe like a handful, like a single digit, <laughs> but like I did get some, you know, like that ended the interaction that ended the virality of my tweets. And I got a couple comments and a lot of private messages saying like, good for you handling this with a grace. And I'm like, I never wanted her fired. I wanted the article fixed and I wanted an apology. And I like that was that was and I got what I wanted. And like you look at this Washington Post thing and again, Weigel's retweet had nothing to do with Felicia Sanmez, and she's on a five day tirade about it. And it's like she's not the one that was wrong. He owes her nothing like he's been. Weigel's been suspended for a month without pay. Like I don't like. What what do what what is the goal here? Like we've got to figure this out at some point because we keep having these situations where like somebody tweets something or some you know Dave Chappelle makes some joke and you know everyone's like oh well you know this is this is somebody who's now because they said this thing that we've got to destroy their lives and it's like well wouldn't the better answer to bad speech be good speech? Like if you don't like what somebody says why don't you use your own words to say you suck? And here's six reasons why. Like, why do we feel like we have to like bludgeon somebody to a metaphorical death, destroy their career, destroy their personal life because we don't like what they say? Like why can't we just say I mean, our it's own? also things?
0: that's also better content. And if you want to be a celebrity, you would probably. I mean, the <laughs> problem is that that's hard. It's harder to do that than it is to say you should lose your job or you should be punished or, you know, in in Sanmez's case, it is a a proclamation of a rotted institution in uh, the Washington Post, which is under the thrall of the patriarchy or, or however she might describe her philosophy. Let me ask They're you under a general the thrall, of
1: the patriarchy. They're under the thrall of like liberal feminist victims who like <laughs> well, think that they need go. to be protected from anything mean on the Internet. Like I'll the, say it.
0: No, sure. No, then that is. Yeah, I, I was trying to I was trying to do steelman her argument. But I, I, I think that I'm very glad that you have given voice to that here. Let me let me <laughs> let me ask you a general conversation about journalists and Twitter, because I have a philosophy and I'm curious your thoughts on it. My experience before I I absconded to the Internet where I could just talk into a microphone by myself was in the world of reporting and reporting is a thankless, thankless, thankless job when it comes to your ego. You are constantly being hung up on. You're constantly emailing people that either don't email you back or email you back and tell you things you don't want to hear. You, The feedback that you often get, especially when you are covering the things that are the most important, are vitriolic and they're mean and, and you are kind of taken down. J- uh, Twitter was the first time that I can remember that all journalists kind of gathered and It was the only time where you would post a thing and then everybody else that I knew that was a journalist would all like each other's work and comment on it and say that was a great job. When somebody got a new job, it's almost its own genre of tweet is the I'm leaving this place. I'm going to a new place and all your friends gather like a little pizza party and say how great you are and how lucky your new outlet is to have you. It was the first time that journalists could get any kind of feel good in a public setting. And, and now it feels even then uh, uh, it is kind of turned like all message boards do uh, uh, into (laughs) something twisted and poisoned.
1: And, you know, I, I don't, I, because like the thing is, is like, I owe my career in no small part to Twitter. I'll say that. Okay. Because I got into this by, working on campaigns and being annoyed at the Orlando Sentinel because they'd write about events and they weren't actually there. And I literally Googled, how do you make a blog? And I made my own little website on blogspot. Um, It wasn't any super professional, flashy, amazing thing, but it worked. And I wrote and because I'm a, I am was a lawyer and I could write and I was there in person and I happened to be following this former Speaker of the House that decided to run for Senate in 2010 by the name of Marco Rubio, who was at 3% in the polls when he started, I had a front row seats, all that. So I was getting little scoops by just showing up. And I met a lot of people and networked with a lot of people through Twitter And so like I, that aspect that you're talking about of journalists encouraging each other is still a thing that happens and is something that I, I, I appreciate and I'm grateful for because those, those connections that led to me meeting people at red state before it went completely off the rails, um, you know, and, and going to events and going, deciding to like, go ahead and go to conservative conferences that I'd read about online and like to meet these people and like one thing leads to another and you're invited to contribute an article and you're invited to freelance and then that leads to leads to leads to to where now I have a like my full-time job is as is part of the editorial staff at Mediaite like that doesn't happen without twitter without the conversations i had without the like actual real life friends that i have yeah. and networking connections um but then at the same time like you know i I hate to get all like super philosophical here, but like human beings, okay, well, look, okay. Let's look at the broader, like pre-internet human history. We are violent, mean critters. Mm -hmm. Like the reason that everybody in Europe speaks so many different languages is because for several centuries they were all like rampaging and murdering and conquering each other like that little random vis- like village in germany was french it was belgian it was german it was you know polish at one point like who knows like of course they all speak six languages because their ancestors all had to because some of the other stupid army came and burned the whole village down every 50 years so like we're not doing that so much anymore. I mean, Vladimir Putin certainly has like that as his favorite (laughs) hobby, but like the vast majority of
0: Putin's retro are like that.
1: Yeah. Putin's Putin's retro. Um, and like literally raping and pillaging, um, the vast majority of like human society, like if you look at the the Western world, we're not raising each other's villages anymore. We're not burning people at the stake because we think she's a witch. We're not, you know, challenging someone to a duel because they blinked the wrong way at our wife and we have to defend her honor. So we're going to murder our neighbor at dawn with pistols. Um, But, you know, is that same warrior like violent impulse, like hardwired into who we are. And we're not burning down the neighboring village anymore, but we're trying to do that online. Like somebody wrongs us or somebody's not in our political tribe and we think it's okay. I mean, I, I, I am, what I've seen over the past several years, people I thought were actual real life friends of mine who turned on me because yeah. I wouldn't support Trump. Like, that's been a real eye opening sort of thing. And like, I've always been somebody who, even when I was like little Miss Young Republican and holding office in the clubs and serving as general counsel at the executive committee and being a poll watcher trainer and doing all this stuff and working on campaigns, like, I always had friends who were Democrats or apolitical. Like, they were my friends as actual humans in real life. Like, yeah. we have so many people now that are politically active and not only are not willing to date anyone outside their political belief, whether that's right or left, um, but don't even have any friends or anyone they socialize with at all that disagrees with them. They get siloed media that agrees with them in a partisan basis. They only have friends that agree with them. And so you start getting this very tribal mentality where if somebody is not on your team, it's OK to burn their village to the ground.
0: Yeah. It's okay to destroy their career, as as we saw right here, was even beyond politics, per se. This was on the idea of 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 gender uh, norms and acceptance.
1: Dave Weigel is a white male who retweeted a sexist joke. Therefore, it's okay to burn his career to the ground because the patriarchy must be smashed. That's what the argument is from the Felicia Sanmezes of the world, that that it's okay to destroy his career for a minor infraction because that's the enemy. And because we women have been oppressed and victimized and harassed, and it's just, oh my God, it's exhausting.
0: Well, and and I guess we can end here is that I, I suspect that we would agree on this, that ultimately the existence of an eclectic newsroom that has a lot of different beliefs and some of them clash uh, even violently against each other is is maybe even the sign of a healthy newsroom. You want people. That That's what
1: we have at Mediaite. Like.
0: Right. I swear. But, but pro- I swear. The problem is not the the crew. The problem is the leadership. And if if the Washington yeah. Post leadership cannot say settle down or I am suspending everybody who keeps talking about this because uh, uh, this is this cannot spill out. It's embarrassing us. It's it's degrading the the. Yeah. I mean, if, if you are building your own. It's brand, destroying
1: the Washington Post brand.
0: Yeah, if you are if you're degrading the Washington Post brand and 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 really to me just making a a damning indictment of the fact that they can't get their own house in order that that they are sacrificing a top reporter during the primaries uh of uh, uh, for for what? You know, uh, that that to me is is that's where the blame should lie. I I almost put it more on the leadership than I do Sanmez, no matter how much I might disagree with her with her antics uh, uh there she is a buck to pass. she could not do
1: Potter. what she was doing she could not yes. do what she was doing without the acquiescence of the Washington Post editorial staff. They yeah. are letting her get away with it um. And, and because I really do feel considering how public she's been about anything else, if they told her to simmer down, she would have whined about that already. She's tagged the editor. It would, have, it would have been on tweets. Twitter
0: immediately.
1: It would have been, yeah, I, 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 yeah.
0: Before it hits Slack is she would have screen capped it and put it on Twitter.
1: I mean, me, me personally, I, I would work with Dave Weigel in a heartbeat. I've met him a number of times. I, I wouldn't say we're besties, but I consider him a friend. Um, I'm not scared of Dave Weigel. I don't feel that he's going to oppress me with any of his white maleness. I don't think he's going to like try to run me out of a job. I don't worry that he'd ever sexually harass me. Like I'm not scared of Dave Weigel. I would never want to work with Felicia Sonmez. I don't feel safe working with Felicia Sanmas I have held back in a number of my tweets of things that I think are valid, factual accusations against her because I just don't have time for it because she seems to be an exhausting person. And that's not, because she's a woman or because she's this victim or whatever, but because of her own choices about what she says and what she's put on Twitter for a five day tirade against her own coworkers. I would have fired her if I were a Washington post editor. I'd, I know she's got this ongoing lawsuit. She's appealing, but like, you can't, you can't do that. And like, Again, like I know, obviously, I'm I'm biased here, but like I have to really commend what we've got at Mediaite because we I have some colleagues that I aggressively disagree with. Yeah, that on, on a lot of political issues and and, you know, on all we've got people on the right, left all over the place and people that disagree on a whole bunch of different things. Um, but, you know, what's happened when I've had a dispute with one of them?
0: You've we've talked directly.
1: <laughs> yeah. We've talked directly about it. Like we've messaged each other on Slack or a few times there's been phone calls to like hash it out. And then we've kept on working. Like, because we all there's, want there's the product site that exchange. needs to
0: happen. Everybody. I mean, like that's like, there's the line from blazing saddles that like, we got to protect our phony baloney jobs here. And that's what I would always think of in any of these situations. It's like, you know, you get to report and write for a living. You know, what an amazing gift that is at, at any kind of level, be it at, at, at a small newspaper, a small blog or, or name brand stuff like media is And certainly like the Washington post and New York times are, that is an amazing privilege that you get to draft on. And, and, uh, uh, I don't know. It, it, it just, it, it, it whole weeks will mind.
1: go by where I don't have to put on shoes other than flip flops because I'm driving to the grocery store. Yeah. That's a that. privilege that I enjoy. I like not wearing shoes all day long. I like getting to work in my yoga pants from home or be able to go on vacation and go visit a friend at the beach and work from there. And I like it and it's fun.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I
1: just, and I think like, and again, I I I go back to the broader philosophical point. Humans are violent, angry, combative critters, but we're also capable of amazing acts of bravery and kindness. Yeah. And you look at what happens after these disasters. You look at how the world has rallied around Ukraine. You look at how, like, I mean, what is Poland taking in, like, a million, two million Ukrainian refugees? Mm-hmm. Like, you mm-hmm. look at what humans are capable on the good side and, like, I, 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 I think it is an uphill battle, but I do think that like you and I and every single one of your listeners, Gets to make a choice every day and we can choose to be kind and encouraging and we can choose to share the good stories and we can choose to positively interact with the people who are behaving in a positive manner and to reward them and to not see the online lynch mob gathering and say, oh, let me get my pitchfork. This looks fun. We can all make that choice. And it's hard. It is, you know, there's a mob mentality that is attractive to the way humans are hardwired. But there's also a lot that feels good about being kind. I've seen a number of times somebody tweet something that indicated that they were going through some kind of trouble or stress Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. matches them privately and said, hey, how you doing? And sometimes that's been just a... Oh, like I'm fine. I'm just tired. And then like this bill didn't get paid and said, I have to pay this. And like, I'm just annoyed. I'm okay. And then sometimes it's led to a longer conversation where somebody really was having a rough time and needed somebody to talk to. And like, we can all choose to be that person that reaches out and says, Hey, how you doing? So like, we can choose that. <laughs> and and we can also, do that. <laughs> let me, let me just
0: reinforce. I want to circle back to this as we wrap up. Uh, If you have a problem with somebody, go after them. To go after their job is just, to me, crappy. it is a bad, it is, I mean, if you want to damn the institution and we're talking about media here, so let's say a a paper or something like that, then don't come with one example. Come with a bunch of examples if you want to damn them for a pattern of something. But, but to say that, I mean, there, I can't think of a person for whom I disagree with in media and boy, do I have a list of them that I want them (laughs) to lose their job. I want them to be shamed maybe for their bad work. (laughs) I want them to know that I think that what they do is bad, but I, I don't want them to lose their job. This is the point of media yeah. is everybody puts these things out in the air. OK, uh, uh, Sarah Rumpf of, of, of media, I thank you so much for, 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 for joining us. Uh, uh, I have a feeling we could probably talk about this for the next, uh, maybe as long as uh, Felicia Sanmez is tweeting or a rough approximation. <laughs>
1: Oh man, my voice would give out long before then I, I will, I will, I will yield to her superior stamina and keeping the fight going.
0: I wonder, I wonder what <laughs> her next assignment is, by the way, that's the other thing that blows my mind for all these people who spend all this time on Twitter. It's like, what else are you working on? Like, like you know, she
1: worked on a piece with Weigel not too long ago. They shared a byline. Like uh, people found that, like I just, I ah, like if you're another Washington post reporter and they ask you to work on something with sanvez and share a byline, like what do you do? Like, say oh no I can't I don't want to like I would
0: not want to oh uh, number number one number one delete your twitter and then watch your p's and q's very 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 carefully.
1: yeah apparently she's the the most powerful
0: person in in the Washington Post uh, next to Taylor uh uh all right uh, thank you so much for joining us
1: (laughs) thank you so much have a good day
0: And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Sarah for uh, her time, then uh, please go ahead. PX3guest.com. That is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. I did my best to not go fully into the Taylor Lorenz thing mostly because we are doing a full Taylor Lorenz segment on We're Not Wrong, the podcast I do with Jen Briney and Andrew Heaton. That'll come out tomorrow. So if you want more about Taylor Lorenz, and I got a lot of thoughts about Taylor Lorenz, then please go ahead and subscribe to that podcast. If you'd like to email me here, it is the young American at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on Twitter, PX3 tweets on Twitch, PX3 live, which is where I am Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can find this podcast at PX3 podcast dot com. And the merch is at politicsmerch.com. dot com. You can support us with a one time donation, PayPal dot me slash pay jury. My Venmo is justin-young-20. Our cash app is px3cash, and you can send checks to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. That goes for anything else you want in the mail, just make it out to Justin Young. Of course you can only head over to takepoliticsseriously.com if what you want at the end of the day is bonus podcast the $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule and our $10 tier gets you name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier Vigard, Alexis, Neil of Neals MC Radio and Safety dB levels, KD Double K Ranch, Amanda Yeo Pinball Shop John, DP4Bongo, Kneemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, persons familiar with the matter, and vote Gloria Young for king of the new world order. 100-mile runner, Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start, Dr. G, headphones, Neil, Charles, Darren, uh, Idris Blue Bluefront, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana, Shrill, Shrieks, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, D laser, just another pilot, middle age, Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Jen, Adam L D, Really, Chopper, J Fink, Andrew, and Josh. If you want your name read right there, only one place to go, take politics seriously.com. Sign up at the $10 tier. We're gonna get into some campaign criticism, some campaign uh handicapping. Our friend Michael Cohen is back. And a reminder the last time that Michael Cohen was on this show in in an interview capacity was when we were breaking down that Glenn Youngkin had a chance to win in Virginia. Look how that turned out. Big upset. I was talking to him in Virginia when that happened. But we both kind of agree that there's another state. That we think there is an underrated Republican challenger. And it's in Pennsylvania. But that's Friday. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> dog and pony show audio